0: Muck Delivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
1: Hello and welcome to this very, very special edition of the and Never podcast. And why is this special? Well, Thursday the 8th of March was International Women's Day, and those of you who saw our announcement on social media last week will know that the known and Ever team are choosing to mark 2018's campaign kickoff by hosting a very special female podcast. So we've given James and Adam the week off, and this edition highlights and supports all of the incredible women who watch, play, and work in football and its broadcasting. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me on the panel this week is BBC Sport Assistant Producer and long-time Burnley fan, Karen Fazakali. Thank you Welcome to the show, Karen. nice to be here. So later on in the show, we're also going to be bringing you an interview with Gemma Avery. She's another proud Burnley fan, but she's actually worked in ladies' football and is a strong advocate for developing women's football at all levels. Um, We're going to be chatting about grassroots football and the development and the progress of the Lionesses, particularly in in recent years and, and the high profile that they've brought to the game. But before all of that, listeners, we have the very small matter of a rather feisty affair at the London Stadium. where a very, very impressive Clarets away win, which also, I would add, happened to take us to our record ever Premier League points tally. we somewhat overshadowed by some ugly scenes by Hammers fans protesting against their board. Now, as much as we want to concentrate on Burnley and the part they played in the afternoon, and we will do that, we just can't ignore the scenes that unfolded during that second half. So, to kick us off on this show this week, we're really grateful that West Ham fan and YouTube vlogger Katie spoke to us to explain what went on. Katie, welcome to the No Any podcast on what must be a pretty traumatic time for West Ham fans at the moment after everything that escalated on Saturday. Um I I guess we just asked you to come on this show today just to give the Burnley fans and our listeners just some background, really, as to what on earth's going on at the moment, to I guess. Um, get us to a situation where it all escalated as much as it did on Saturday.
2: Yeah, uh, it's not good times. Um, firstly, congratulations to Burnley because obviously it was a brilliant win for you guys. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> sadly, it was a it was a sad day. Um, this has been going on ever since the move. Really, um, I think if you ask most West Ham fans, they weren't keen on the move. Um, but unwillingly accepted it based upon the fact that they said that we were going to be progressing. Um, I mean, they said Champions League football, but that that's not the bit that we have the issue with. Um, they've told us so many lies ever since uh, the move and before the move. Um, and the it, it all came to a head on Saturday. Um, I don't know if you guys know what you know about exactly what's gone on. Um, they've promised that we would have a world class stadium with world class players um I'm not sure if anyone's actually been to the London stadium mm, but I certainly yeah. wouldn't it's not it's not it's a lovely stadium but it's not a football stadium that's yeah
1: I think that's exactly what most people are saying I I was there on Saturday it was my first visit and I was really excited to come down for it I, I couldn't make it last season because if you remember I think it got moved to a Tuesday night or something um and yes the building's so impressive and it must have been so exciting at first not was, at all yeah. fit for football,
2: not no. at all. And and that's the bit, you know, I, I'd i been to the Olympics and I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant stadium. And I was excited to see what they'd actually done with it to make it a football stadium. And to me, it isn't. And I don't think it will be how it is. It, it's never really going to be fit for football. Um, so that's one of the main issues. Uh, they, they said that the seating would be a similar distance to Upton Park. It certainly isn't. Um, again, I don't know because I've not sat in the away section. I'm not sure what the uh, seating is like. But if you actually walk around, the um, retractable seating is quite embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they it I'll give you that. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they remove it and then it goes into a car park that's just a little way away from the London oh, Stadium. Oh, is that what's underneath it? Ah, yeah, and it, you know, it takes, it takes quite a long time for them to be able to move them. Um, it costs a lot of money, but apparently this was the best option. Um, I'm not sure I believe that. Um, it's, there's just been so many so many lies. And, you know, leaving Upton Park was a traumatic thing, but we accepted it thinking that we were going to have this world-class stadium and actually they were going to be investing into the club and buying world-class players. And um, I can't think of any world-class players that we've signed. And in fact, we no, keep yeah. selling players and our squad is getting smaller. It's just a combination of things um, that has led to to that on Saturday. Again, I'm not sure if anyone knew that there was meant to be a march before the Burnley game. Yeah, I don't
1: think we knew it before there, but I think it, that's come out in the press since then. Yeah. I don't think it's something that had really hit our, our radio. I mean, I've seen some press reports have uh, suggested that actually it was it was probably the worst thing that they could have done in not allowing that that demonstration to go ahead. Do you think that that would have helped ease tensions in the ground if they'd have let that go ahead?
2: Do you know what? my first, My initial thoughts was, yeah, that because we've not been allowed to march... In, in the right way, in, a, in an official march that's organised in the correct way, that those tensions and people felt that they were being stopped, that's what led to it. The only thing I will say is the argument against that could actually be that emotions would have been really high having marched and being with everyone, and actually mm, that's that would, it could well have happened anyway. I mean, we'll never know. Um, I believe the march should have gone ahead, Um because then we would have been protesting in the right way. However, Saturday was definitely not the right way to go about it. And all it's done is make West Ham fans appear as <laughs> hooligans. And, you know, we've got that reputation anyway. So it's, for me, it's really disappointing. I mean, when that first fan ran on, you just thought, okay, it's one person. Yeah. But the fact that then those stewards came, I mean, and this is another another issue that we knew, there was a problem with stewarding at London Stadium. That's been highlighted ever since we moved there. The first game, there was problems. So really, that needed to have been addressed before now. Um, you know, and I think clearly the board are taking notice now, but really, that's something that should have been sorted out a long time ago. Yeah, it's 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 just a sad day. It just feels that what doesn't help is that West Ham fans are now arguing with each other. Yeah. So... Yeah. Starts
1: dividing everybody, doesn't yeah. it?
2: Yeah.
1: I mean I think I think one of the main things to take from Saturday is is, is that I know you you're concerned about the reputation and how it looks on the club. Sure it, it wasn't great. Um and it was a particularly um I guess it was a torrid afternoon, but it was at the end of the day a minority of the fans, and and you could see from where we were that the majority of the home pan home fans, sorry, were were not condoning the, the behaviour of the pitch invaders mm-hmm. at all. And and I've seen so much footage of those individuals getting absolutely, you know, pelted with abuse by their own fans when they get in, and yeah. just saying, you know, like yeah. what you're doing. So, you know, there, there is there's, there's good, there's a lot of good among the West Ham fans. So you know, don't, don't be concerned with that. I think I think there's a lot of sympathy actually for you at the moment because we all remember the big sky fanfare when you left the, the bullying ground yeah, and yeah. and it was it was all everybody was really excited for you and it just seems to have been such a shame that it, it's gone gone badly and, and Katie I agree with you while we don't condone how it manifested itself on, on Saturday um number one there, there's a there's a huge security problem in that it just wasn't dealt with when it did happen yeah. secondly I think there is a lot of empathy with the situation that's going on um just very quickly Katie I mean I, I guess things aren't they're being helped at the moment by um, a difficult season on the pitch as well. Um, how are you feeling about optimism for staying up this season? And, and what do you think Moyes needs to do just to get you over the line?
2: You know what, If it's the run of games that we've got coming up. There's some yeah, really difficult games. Yes. Um, and I personally think we're in serious, serious trouble, which could being in that stadium in the championship is not going to be a good thing. Um, I, I don't know what Moyes could do. I personally think we're relying heavily on the teams below us and what results they get. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to go down to the final day. I mean, the, the thing is you would like to think that maybe the fans at home now will actually think, right, we need to just cheer on the team regardless, you know, we go one yeah. nil down, let's not, get, let's not let that happen again. Um, I think it's a case the fans need to all pull together for the last few games. Um, I think Moyes needs to maybe start with Hernandez. Yeah. <laughs> um that would be nice just some I mean, <laughs> the thing is, at the end of the day, I mean we we were playing quite well in the first half. Um Ooh,
1: awesome in the first I, half, We're yeah, better than we were. You know,
2: and yeah. but we didn't take those chances no. and that's the thing, you know. And I mean I love Anatovic, but he's not an out and out striker. We need somebody else up there with him. There's a combination of things. Um it's it's gonna be really difficult. And I mean I've seen us be relegated quite a few times and it's a horrible horrible thing
1: yeah well, I've seen it. um, it's not nice
2: no <laughs> so it's it's difficult I but sadly for me I think we're going to be relying on the teams around us um not to be getting the results uh, you say that all, but
1: together. you're not in the bottom three at the moment so it is in your own hands at the moment I think I think what's maybe a worrying thing is is obviously you've got Southampton next which is yeah oh my God, massive for two huge clubs who've been in the Premier League for as long as both of you have. For that game to be, I guess, rewriting the definition of a six-pointer is unbelievable and I think it's going to be fascinating for the neutrals among us to to watch that but yeah, I do fear that, I just feel like what might be the best thing for everybody at West Ham at the moment is just to, to score first because if, if it if you go behind um, I, I guess the concern will be the mental strength of the players and the mental strength of the fans as well so um, I guess I guess it just means taking that one game at a time doesn't it and just trying to get something from Southampton and then it will be massively in your own hands and I think you'll be fine um, I don't think you need to worry I like your confidence yeah. <laughs> I'm trying my best <about laughs> to, to pick you like up that. no I know but we've been there Katie we've been there a few yeah, times and anyway, know. it's not nice I mean while we've been very very lucky at Burnley in that we have a, a lot of Stability on our board. We've not necessarily had that chaos. We, you know, we've been through relegation. We know what it's like. Yeah. So, so I think I think fingers crossed. Get something from Southampton, um, and and I think it would be very very good if, if we could uh, speak to you next season as a still a Premier League team. That would be amazing. Let's hope. Let's
2: hope so. That's what I'm praying. Yeah. It but you're be. having a fantastic season. So we
1: yeah. <laughs> I do I do fear sometimes as well though that we're also relying on the results below us because I'm not quite sure how we've clung on to seventh spot as much as we have. But it's it's, it's a funny old league, but you know what? It's 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 been kind of exciting, and I hope that once you guys are safe and survived, and, and you get your problems ironed out, you can kind of look back on this season as as the breathtaking rollercoaster it has been. Because essentially, apart from um, and I guess I guess now City to win the league and West Brom to be relegated, there is literally nothing else being decided. So it, it might, uh, yeah, if you you guys beat Southampton, we'll beat uh, who are we playing it. We we playing West Brom, so we'll beat them as well, and then. Both of us can put our feet up for the rest of the season and relax. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much. And I'm so sorry to have you on in such difficult circumstances for your own. But from everybody at None and Ever, best of luck. We'll all be rooting for you. Karen, what, how do you feel about that trouble? I mean, it was pretty ugly to watch. But Burnley just massively managed to keep their cool through it all, don't you think? It was... Absolutely awful to see. Nobody wants to see that at a
3: football match. You go there with your nephews and you just want to watch the game and enjoy the game. And there was always going to be an element of trouble with what was going on in the background at West Ham with all the protests that were cancelled at the last minute. So you kind of half expected that something might kick off, but not to the extent it did. To see that um, the fan running onto the pitch just after Ashley Barnes scored, you kind of knew there was an undercurrent that was going to happen. And it was just unfortunate to see. I mean, it just overshadowed what could have been a wonderful day and what turned out to be a wonderful day for Burnley.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we seem to have a bit of a record for it recently, don't we? If you remember over the, well, I guess in this current modern Premier League times, we had that day away at Blackpool when we were going for a promotion behind Leicester where they were throwing tennis balls at all of our players. Then, of course, two years ago, our um, presentation at Charlton, we had to have an inflatable trophy because of their protests. And now this, so... I mean, Burnley, we just don't. We're just not that club, are we? We just—you would be very surprised if if a Burnley board acted the same way that some of the clubs are as well. Um, but you know, it's got to make you appreciate it, doesn't it? Just what we have at Burnley and just how solid our oh, it's boardies. massive. I think
3: the biggest mistake that West Ham made—not to focus on West Ham too much—was actually moving away from Upton Park. I think their fans would agree with that. Going to the Olympics uh, stadium. I mean, it, I've been so many times through BBC Sport for FA Cup games and such, and it is soulless. There is nothing about that stadium. It is—it's just horrible. There. I mean, our fans were phenomenal at the weekend to create a little bit of atmosphere. And when that first goal went in, it it just went crazy, like unbelievable scenes. And I remember watching on the screens after Sean Dash when when the fan ran on the pitch, he was just pointing to his head to the Burnley players, "Don't lose your heads," because he knew what was. Yeah, he he pointed to the side of his head, and I've seen it doing it before, and just said, "Don't lose your heads." And within a minute, who's up but Chris Wood. So it it pays to man manage, and Sean Dice just read that game perfect.
1: Yeah, no, it was my it was actually my first visit to, to London Stadium at the weekend. I haven't managed to go in the other seasons, um, and I've, it's really weird. It, it's it's such a beautiful arena. It really is an impressive stadium, but it's just not fit for a football match, it, it, the atmosphere is difficult. And, and we were, I was in the upper tier and there's just such a massive gap to the bottom tier of fans. And we were kind of joking that by the time they started a chant, by the time it hit us, we were that far away that they were already on the second verse before we even heard it. We were that far away. But it was, yeah, it, I mean, I've got a lot of sympathy for, for West Ham fans, to be honest. Um, one thing that's kind of... Annoying as well. In that one of the one of the features that I was going to focus on this week, with it being um, a celebration of Women's Day, was sort of to champion Karen Brady, who is obviously one of the chairman at, at West Ham, and I don't really. The only other, I guess, high profile director that I can think of in, from a female perspective is, um, oh, is it Carolyn Radford at Mansfield? I think she's the only other. Yeah. I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but it seems such a shame at the moment when we're supposed to be championing and we're supposed to be promoting progress for women in the higher management positions that she is going through this really tough time. And she's one of the ones that the finger's very much been pointing at as, as blame, I guess, for for the problems going on. I
3: mean, I, I think Karen Brady is utterly fantastic. No matter what she's done at West Ham, I that record I mean she 's just phenomenal and she's brought female orientated um managerial roles into that kind of spectrum that we 've never had before, and no matter what goes down at West Ham over the next few weeks and months, which i 'm sure we'll hear more about I mean obviously what 's happened at the weekend is still going to be in the news for the next couple of weeks I expect but Karen brady i mean it's like we both said we, we both look up to her we, we do because she 's in the at the top of the game in the industry I mean I know I work for BBC sport, but it's still it, It's unbelievable to be how far ahead she is at a football club like she is. And I know the fans are on her backs. It's the first person you go to, isn't it? I've been at Burnley Games back in the day where we turned our backs on the board. I was there when that happened with my parents. Didn't have a clue what we were doing it for, but we all did it. So I'm sure there's fans that aren't really sure what's going on. But you're going to join in, aren't you? If It's for the best... Football club I'm sure Burnley fans would feel exactly the same if the boot was on the other foot they think they've been sold down the wire a little bit down the river sorry so you would expect some kind of response but I think the responses that they're doing it's not good for football and it's not good for football in general the general fan doesn't want to see that you don't want to see local like young lads who have come along with the parents sitting on the away team's bench even though what Burnley football club is, is brilliant. I can't imagine, it sounds really bad, doesn't it? I can't imagine the likes of Manchester United or Liverpool saying, come on, lads, come and sit with us, watch the game. Can't you? You can't imagine Jose Mourinho thinking, oh my goodness, this is a good idea. So I, I do, I think Burnley sometimes has a bad reputation, but over these past couple of weeks, I think people are opening their eyes to, you know what, we're a good football club, we've got a good mentality, we've got a very good board, we've got a very good manager and I think it's actually really bizarre to say but it it makes Burnley look good and not on the pitch as well as off it and I think that's just as important sometimes
1: oh it definitely is I mean I would I would love to see um a female on the Burnley board at some point as well that would be massively <laughs> incredible I, I think <laughs> say that again sorry I'm down Natalie what was that <laughs> Well, well, you see, maybe if you know when I board are listening to this, which I'm sure they do every single week, you know, get get me, yeah, you know, give me a call, I'll be down there. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. I think Karen Brady's position, I know in some respects it's difficult, but I guess if there's one positive to take from the flag she's getting is that they, you know, we're striving as females in the higher management positions to be treated equally and fairly. So I know it's this is tenuous, maybe a little bit, but at least she is she's getting the flack equally, you know. And and I think when you are in the management positions, you take the rough with the smooth. And I think she's strong enough to realise that it's not all plain sailing, running a football club, especially not one of of West Ham's um, status, I guess, and and how big a club they are. So hopefully she'll be able to turn it around. But let's put West Ham's problems to one side. Um, I'm sure that this, like Karen said, is going to be a ongoing saga particularly if they go behind against Southampton which is looking like a massive game in a couple of weeks. Um, let's talk about the game itself. So pre-game we talked on the podcast last week about the team selection and how we thought um, Deitch would go and he's obviously now got a choice between a the first half Everton team and the second half Everton team so i.e play 4-5-1 in the first half with Barnes up front on his own and Hendrick in that sort of dropping back number 10 role to go for a much more positive attacking option in 4-4-2 with Hendrick coming off and Wood and Barnes playing up front. We speculated that he, we thought he may start with four five one on the grounds that if he went straight to four four two, he might not have anywhere to go, he might not have a plan B to change it, and that's exactly what he did. Um Karen, were you surprised at that, or do you think that was the perfect tactical um, change? I guess.
3: Well, if anyone was reading my Twitter feed on Saturday. I, I kind of had to eat my words a little bit because I was a little bit surprised because I thought going against the team against West Ham they haven't been scoring very much that they, they're struggling at the bottom why not go all out attack so I did have a little bit of a dig which I don't normally do but um I was a little bit critical of Jeff I do it every week <laughs> <laughs> we don't it but yeah I was a little bit critical I thought he might go more attacking minded maybe starting with Woods or alongside Barnes just to test the water out but it turned into a tactical genius and, to be fair Natalie I wasn't that impressed with the first half I I was watching it, and I was just—it was just a bit lassodistic, although that it was just long balls forward to Barnes. He was getting back to the ball, and it just wasn't entertaining football. That, but then he just switched it, completely switched it in that second half. And I think it, it was genius tactics. I was talking to people at work today; who, was, who were complaining about Jeff Hendrick. There's a few Burnley fans there, and I think the trouble with Jeff Hendrick is that. Simply, he's lost his best mate. He's lost Robbie Brady. And I think that it's such a minor thing to us. Like, oh, he hasn't played with him all the time. He played better without Brady. But he played well when he was playing the other day. When In the right position, if you get Jeff Hendrick in the right position, he will have a storming game, an absolutely brilliant game but then he, he obviously struggled a little mm-hmm. bit again against West Ham because yeah, I don't think he can play with Barnes I don't think they read the game as well as Wood and Barnes do and London would do so I yeah. think that's something that Dyche mm. might need to have a look at if he, if he's hoping to keep Hendrick in the fold I'd like to think he is because I'm, I'm a big fan of Jeff Hendrick I have since he's been arrived he's just gone off the the boil a little bit these past few games and, and it's never good when Burnley fans start having a go because then it's really difficult it back. We, we all know. Once no, the chants start, once <laughs> the boost start, once the clapping for going off as of substitutions, it's hard. It, and the players got to listen to that. And to come back from that is difficult. So it, it's a tough one for Sean Dash. But Tactical, tactical Genius, once again, uh, came out to fruition, didn't it? A 3-0 win. So you can't ask
1: No, and I think picking up on what you said in that um, segment there, which I completely agree with, I also wasn't particularly impressed with the first half. Um, I thought that we, well, we didn't have any shots on goal at all and I thought we had to very much defend all the time. We struggled to kind of get out of our own half. Um, Matt Lawton particularly had a really, really tough afternoon. I think Lanzini was... um, was real was their best player in the first half he played really really well and and obviously I'll I'll touch on this in a minute but but Lennon had to come back and and help him out quite a few times um one thing that Dyche said about the game was that he felt that in the first half we did the gritty things really well do you agree with that Karen do you think or do you think it was just a case of defending for their lives it was
3: defending for their lives let's be honest um to go and and dash, but we were defending for our lives at times and Nick Pope kept us in the game in the first half with that superb save and, I, and, I, and I'll go back to Twitter and say like if that had been David De Gea we'd be talking about it still now but because it's Nick Pope and because it's Burnley and because of everything that happened during the game it's completely forgotten about but that one save was utterly superb I, I, I don't the know one when he went down with point. Point. yeah when he saved it with his one-on-one yeah. it was utterly superb and. I think it's just, it was back to the walls for the most of that 45 minutes. Like you say, we didn't have a shot on target. So we can do the gritty things well. It's just scoring at the other end would help as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really would. Well, let's let's stick on with Pope then, because that is something else that I wanted to talk about this week. Karen, how is Nick Pope not in the England squad? I'm baffled. And actually, we're hearing reports this week coming out in I think the Daily Mirror um, produced this article, and it's one that's been picked up by the Lancashire Telegraph, that Gareth Southgate is actually going to call up Norwich's Angus Gunn, and he doesn't think that there is a space in the England pop uh, sorry in the England squad for Nick Pope. Karen, explain. What is that?
3: Well, I, I was talking about Angus Gunn to a Norwich City friend of mine at work today, and he believes Angus Gunn is—he's he's got a few contacts. I was saying, and, and not that I'm giving you an exclusive to none ever, but there is a lot of reports that Angus Gunn will be called up, and I, I think it's purely going to come down to the fact that Angus Gunn has been through the England setup, and I think that's it. I think he's through. All the youth levels, he's come through. And But the thing that I said to the, the guys at work is McTominay has not been at all in the Scotland setup. Not one game, not all the way through. And yet he's been called up to the senior squad. I, and I know it's Scotland and I'm, and I'm not having a go there at all. But surely if McTominay can play for Manchester United and go straight into the Scotland squad because he's having such a great season, why can't Nick Pope do the exact same thing? Because Angus Gunn, I think I've elected three or four at the weekend. And yet Nick Pope's one of the best goalkeepers statistically this this season. So, to me, I would be sending him 100% to the World Cup, never mind calling up for friendlies. I mean, Joe Hart, you can't, you can't justify taking Joe Hart to the World Cup. He simply can't. Jordan Pickford, I'm a big fan of. So, if he went, wouldn't bother me. The same to an extent with Jack Butland. But that third choice, unfortunately for Heaton, his injury came in. It, it doesn't stand the top. And It is unfortunate, but he'll know that he's not daft. He's and He'll re- recognize that he won't. It's just not his year. To, it's just unfortunate. But you'd like to think, if you Nick Port, you'd be thinking, well, what the hell doing? Sorry, what the heck do I Do I need? To, sorry about that. What do I need to do to get in the England squad when I'm playing so well? And if Angus Gunn sorry does get a call up, I think there'll be a few people going. You know what? He's playing in the championship. He's letting goals in. He, Got, he has got a leaky defence behind him but you just think, oh, yeah. come on, just give the guy a chance, even if it's just for the friendlies, just to see what he can do and that's what I would do but it's just typical Burnley, isn't it? We're always the underdogs, we always think that we can do things and this one time that you, you know he's good enough and he would make that step up and it looks unlikely that he is going to get that call but I tell you what, if he does get the
1: call, I'll be so chuffed for him, he really deserves it. Oh yeah, me too. You see, I thought we'd kind of gone past that, like big club bias thing, and you know we've we've had quite a good running recently of of Burnley players being called up for England despite all the odds, and you know there is a lot of talk as well that Tarkovsky is going to get called up for England this week, which would be fantastic for him as well. But I just, I just feel like the youth team setup shouldn't be an issue you know it it doesn't it doesn't matter whether they've come through the England ranks at under 16s what matters is that he's performing well he's in form and you're going to give him the trainer that he needs in that atmosphere within the you know the international England setup for the senior men and I just think fair enough if, if you're not going to take him to the World Cup but to not even take a look at him not to, you know give him that experience to, to get himself a cap I just think is absolutely shocking um I've, just coming back to your point on Joe Hart, I'm seeing quite a lot of defence for taking Joe Hart to the World Cup, but not with any intention of playing him. I think what people are saying is, and I think I probably agree with this, is that in, in a tournament like the World Cup, you, just, you never use your third keeper. Most of the time, you don't even use your second one. But apparently Joe Hart is absolutely phenomenal in terms of coaching and mentoring the junior players. So if you're going to take um, your first two choices of keeper are going to be quite inexperienced in, in major international tournaments, then Joe Hart will be there to sort of keep an eye on them and mentor them, and look after them. So we might see Joe Hart go um, just for that role, really. Um, Just Going back on defence again in that first half, Karen. I think I touched on this before. We saw quite a lot of of Lennon in that first half, having to help out Matt Lawton on um, that right wing just to try and keep Lanzini at bay. But then in the the, the episode, obviously the second half when we went more attacking, you know, he really came into his own and created quite a lot of chances for us. And his his involvement in that second goal was really, really, really clever football. Um, do you think it's a waste of a player, a talent like Lennon's, to have to use him defensively like you do, or do we see that as a huge positive, and be very grateful that we've got a player as versatile as that who can play play both tactics?
3: I think with Lennon coming into that team is. Really, really positive. I mean, he can track back. He can go forward. He can do a lot of things, and he's very, very quick. And his fitness for his age is unbelievable. So I think for a team like Burnley to have him to come in to have that mentality to realise that sometimes he's got to help his teammates out of the back, and yet he's got to help his teammates at the front, and have that. I mean, that's uh, keeping Enkudu out of the side. And I thought he was brilliant when he came in as a substitute the other week. So I think just in the side completely it's got to be seen as a bonus really I think that's it the...
1: yeah I'd probably agree with that do you think we'll see Enkudu at any point I, I just, it fascinates me that Sean Dyche hate, seems to hate lone players it's, I, I, can we go this entire half season and not actually see him play a uh, total friend of
3: mine was like the first thing he said to me when we got in Kudu was please play him and it's, we haven't. And, it, and you do feel bad because when he came on, I can't remember who it was against, but they gave him about 10 minutes, 10, 13 minutes, and he changed the game. And it was just like, are we going to give this poor lad a chance? So he's come all the way from Tottenham. He's playing, yeah. playing in under-23s games, but yet he can't get off that bench. But, I mean, that just says everything about how well the winners are playing. I mean, who can you drop?
1: Yeah, that's you true. Yeah, well, you can't, can you? Have you simply can't. No, I completely agree. <laughs> I mean, Darch just needs to be careful, I think, a little bit, because we are, Darch is maybe getting a little bit of a reputation for not using his um, loan players that he brings in. And we might end up not getting any more, especially when we really need them. So maybe it's one to um, keep an eye on. Um, So obviously we're sticking on the second half. Um, it was on the 60th minute. It wasn't at half time like it was against Everton, but in Sean Dyche world, that was still a pretty early substitution by anybody's books. We usually wait until about 83 minutes. Um, the, the, obviously, the, the one substitution was bringing Wood on uh, for, for Hendrick, which we were all expecting. I thought that Wood was absolutely sublime in that second half to the point where he actually universally, across every single media outlet that I've seen today trying to catch up with reports, has won the man of the match in as a, coming on as a second half sub. So he's only played 30 minutes and still completely nailed man of the match. I mean, I think I have, Karen, but I don't know if you're the same. Do you think that you'd forgotten how good he was in the time he's been injured? Because I know I have. Completely. I
3: mean, when he arrived, I have to be honest, athlete, I, I didn't think he was that good. And it sounds really bad looking back, but I was speaking to other Burnley fans and friends of mine and you think he, he was very statuesque. He didn't do much. He, he wasn't like a runner like Ings was, Rodriguez was. He was very, he, he would wait for the ball to come to him, but then he'd score and you'd think, well, that's all right. You can score and that's what you're doing as a centre forward. But you do need to run sometimes. And it used to frustrate me a little bit. I wanted him to run. And you could see Burley fans were starting to get on his back a little bit, saying, why have we bought him? He's six foot odd. He's come from Leeds. Send him back to Leeds. And my Leeds supporting fans at work were like, we'll take him off your hands. No worry there. But now you look at him. And I don't know what Dyesha said to him. But he's like a completely different player since he's come back from injury. It's like Dice has said, look, you're part of the team. Start working for it. Work for each other. And you can see he's always looking for Ashley Barnes. I think I have to be honest as well, just veering off the subject. I do feel sorry for Sam Vaux in all this because he's been a great um oh, I do. And you look now and you think he's not going to break in that first team unless there's a big injury. And he doesn't work as well with Barnes than what Wood does Wood just seems to know where Barnes is and that is the main fantastic strike force Barnes knows where Wood is Wood knows where Barnes is and it's like it's just there they don't have to think about it and that is what's going to work until the end of the season and if we can build on that I think it'll just be superb looking ahead to next season but you do think where does Sam Volks fit in anymore where does he fit in that's another question well
1: I I don't think he does yeah I don't think he does I think you're right I mean, obviously, regular listeners know my feelings on Sam Vokes and anybody who follows me on Twitter and tries to keep me away from some form of restraining order. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, obviously, people know that Sam Vokes is my favourite player, but I i think he has to go in the summer. I just think that he doesn't fit into that side anymore. And he's still, what is he, he's 29 this year. That's a big part. I know it is, isn't it? But he's 29. It's not like he's over 30. He's still He can still perform unbelievably well in the championship. And there's some... I guess, towards the the bottom um, of, the, of the table Premier League sides who he could do a really good job for. He'd play really well for somebody like Huddersfield if they managed to stay up or uh, I guess I was going to say West Brom, but they're not going anywhere near Premier League next year. But he, do you know what I mean? He's like, he, he can still perform and, and it's not there to keep that talent on the bench for a full season. I think one of the surprising things of this season is just how well Ashley Barnes has done. I don't think any of us, I mean, we, all, we Burnley fans love Ashley Barnes. Oh. We love all his, he goes in all arms and legs and usually jumps about three weeks too early and his head's all over the place. But actually, and you know, we, we take the mickey out of him for being that big clumsy off who manages to win us free kicks. But he's so much more than that this season. He's He's got skillful and he's got, clever and he doesn't waste as much energy as I think he used to do he's very he's very tactically aware now and I and I just don't think I don't think any of us expected that And, and you're right seeing that partnership with Wood is it's just unbelievable. Um, we're hearing reports this week as well that there's a lot of talk for him being called up for the Austrian national side. Um, he's got Austrian parent, no, grandparents, I think. So you, you kind of look at that, plus there was that rumour, if you remember, in, in the January transfer window of him going being called up by Chelsea. And you just think, you know what? Good for you, Ashley. Do you, do you not feel like a real sense of pride in him? Because he's our Ashley, Karen, and yeah. it's great seeing him. You feel like a proud mum, don't you? I mean, I'm only in my third- <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> like a really proud, mum. Like, oh, That's so he, true. He came in
3: as a, this substitute from Brighton. You, like, they weren't that bothered about him. And you come in, and he does his little bit of a job. But he, and then he toddles off home. Now it's like I don't know what they fed him. I don't know what they've given him. But he's like a pit bull, isn't he? He's just after the ball constantly. He just wants to be part of the game. He's so passionate. And um, the thing with Burnley fans through and through, no matter what year you've come to watch Burnley or what's your or, or when you start watching Burnley Football Club is if you see a player with passion, you're talking like the likes of Andy Pitt and Graham Branch, those kind of pits, Mickey Conroy, the passionate fans and they just get behind them. And you can see the likes of Dean Marnie is one of them. He's never going to be the greatest footballer, but he plays with passion and you can see what the fans mean to him. And the same's outcome out for Ashley Barnes. And it's just superb to get behind a player like that because it's been that long, Natalie. I can't remember really a partnership up front Where we've actually started supporting them as much as what we're doing with Wooden Barnes. I I was trying to think today because I knew I was coming on, and I I genuinely cannot think really that that duo that read the game as well as what these two seem to do. I don't think you can. I think,
1: yeah, I think that the the most recent one was probably Danny Ames and Sam Volks in the first promotion year um, (laughs) when they've probably scored like 20 goals each, didn't they? Um, but again, a lot of that war, though, wasn't, um, I don't think a lot of that was necessarily uh, reading the game all season. I think, you know, there was, they fed off each other. I think it was probably only um, in that second half of the season that they really started to get that almost psychic rapport between them. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think just certainly under, under dash as well, um, because of the style of football he plays and and because, it, you know, it's, it's defence first. We're more likely to be talking about a centre-half pairing that's, that's completely rock solid than the center forward one aren't we so um it's it's surprising but it's nice to see um couple more final points in the west ham before we move on um i'm interested to see your thoughts on the introduction of um var because there were two incidents one of which went for us and one of which went against us on Saturday. The first one that went against us was um, Ashley Barnes's first goal, which was ridiculously flagged as offside. But when you look at the replays, was never seen offside. It was definitely level. Um, now, obviously, yeah. the introduction of VAR would have ruled that as a goal. As it turned out, we didn't need it this game. But I didn't want to let that opportunity pass because there's been quite a lot of times this season where Burnley have been on the wrong end of those decisions. Yeah. But then on the flip side, um, I don't know if you've seen it again, but Ashley Westwood's tackle that got him the yellow card was a really horrible tackle, and that could have easily been a red. Um, just as a general principle, and and I guess ignoring the the teething problems with the VAR, are you a fan or are you not a fan?
3: Oh, no, it's a really hard one. Um, I would... I've had these discussions so many times. There are so many positives and negatives, but I'm a bit old school, Natalie. What, what are we going to talk about? We're still always going to discuss whether the VAR or not. We're going to be constantly yeah. discussing that. So why not just leave it? I know there's like goals that should be... Don't like at the World Cup, if if Lampard's goal had been given, what well, it could have been all been different. If it, The scoreline on Saturday would not have been any different had Ashley Barnes's goal gone in. It would just made Burnley look a lot better. But I'm a bit old school, Natalie. Like, I've, I've been supporting Burnley since 86, and then I'm showing my age now. But we haven't needed it for that long a period. Why do we need to change things now? If it is going to stay in the way it is, it does need to change because you can't have them long gaps with regards to not hearing what the referees saying. saying, if it's going to work, it's going to have to work like rugby does and we've seen how big that works and it's just going to stall the game we're, we're there to watch yeah. football, we're not there to watch a big, someone in London or in Liverpool or Manchester looking at a small screen to decide whether if Ashley's a centimetre offside, it, give it the the striker, give it the defender just put it in the rule book and, and like I said to you Natalie, that there is pros and cons and there's sides to things but if I had my way out I I simply wouldn't change it because what you are going to talk about down the pub with your mates you're not going to talk about the AR was slightly incorrect you're going to go that that was a goal so Yeah.
1: yeah yeah you're right yeah it's all part of it isn't it and it's I think it there's the strive to create the perfect game, isn't there, and to have every decision right. And it's it's predominantly just down to to the pressures of the modern game. And there's there's so much risk involved, and there's so much financial um losses that can be um imposed on you if, if you know for, for relegation. It's a really difficult factor. It's all to do with money at the end of the day, Natalie. When, when-
3: Thing. I yeah, mean, really. you look at League 1 and League Twos and, and, and they're not bothered about VAR. I don't even think there's been any discussions as yet about VAR at that level. Yeah. So it is when you look at it in that extent, it is all about the Premier League, the Europa League, the Champions League, the World Cup. It's where the money is. And unfortunately, or fortunately, as you like to see it, Burnley are now the big boys. They're in the big boys and we've got to be a part of that yeah. we've got to move on with it
1: yeah i think i'd add the championship to that as well to be honest just because promotion from the championship can mean survival for for some of those clubs now it's you know there's not the investment being made into championship teams that there are in the premier league nobody's going to come in and 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 buy some of the the struggling championship sides so their only chance of that financial lottery payout it is to get a, a lucky promotion. Very much like we did in 2009, that's how we did it. And I think a lot of clubs will see that blueprint for um, some success and, and you know, to, to get your club built and they'll do yeah, that. Yeah,
3: I mean, I agree with you Natalie. I mean, you look at Sunderland at the moment at the bottom of the championship. I mean, they're going to be next season with a parachute payment. And you're like, how do you compare that? We were talking about that today. It's God, like yeah. you're going to get a parachute payment of £35 million, well, ish. And Akron to the Stanley are probably going to get promoted from League Two. I know it's going off on a tangent, but they're going to come together at the Stadium of Light, completely pulls apart. But will it come down to or is it pride? It's, it's utterly crazy when you look at the scheme of things and who's going to be playing who possibly next season. It's crazy, but that's just football and that's...
1: Yeah, no, you're right. That that whole Sunderland um comparison, I'd not even thought of that. And like you say, that the fact that um, that Sunderland can be going into that league with such a massive parachute payment, I think S- did Southampton do the same? I think they had two consecutive relegations, didn't they? But but either way, you know, what does what does that do? You know, how do the League One sides get any chance of of, of being able to compete? It is definitely interesting. So let's move away from the West Ham game now and let's have a look at what our feature is going to be this week. In celebration of Ladies Football and our International Women's Day edition, we spoke to Gemma Avery, who is very big in the world of women's football, and we got her thoughts on grassroots development and the progression of the Lionesses. So Gemma, welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute honour. Oh, so loved here. We've just been saying to Karen before um, we, we came to you that it actually feels really nice for me to have all these girls on the podcast. It's really great. Um, obviously, yeah, um, awesome. it is awesome. Do you want to just start by giving our listeners just a little introduction to what you've been doing about your life and your work in women's football so they can get some context and get to know you?
4: Yes, absolutely. So, um I've obviously been a massive football fan since day dot was dragged along to Turf Moor on the coldest of Tuesday evenings to go and watch Stanton and in his uh, shorts and Reeboks. But um the whole kind of upbringing has been around football. My family working football and have been involved in football. Um so it was kind of a natural progression for me to go into that area. Um I went to university and studied broadcasting and went into TV worked for ITV, BBC, working at Media City and started getting more and more jobs in sport and football. And I was getting to the point where I was seeing all these people working at clubs and thinking, I really want to do this. Like, I don't just want to be there on a Saturday and then walking away. I wanted to be involved on the football side. So um, did a little bit of traveling, did a bit of teaching, kind of got all that out of my system and then came back and started working at our beloved club. Um, so I worked at Burnley. Um, I had, I was working in the uh, community trust and supporting on match day. So um, it was a really good way to sort of get involved in football because you kind of seen the power of football rather than obviously we all know what a match day looks like and we know what happens, you know, on on the pitch, but it was to see what happens sort of off the pitch and how football's being used as a vehicle, especially in Burnley and the surrounding areas, to make a huge impact. Um, so I had a really good time there and obviously got to know the ins and outs of the media and marketing side of um Burnley and the way that we do things. Um, and then um joined Arsenal. So that was a mad move for a very hardy northerner who, you know, very much loved where she came from. Um, but obviously the opportunity like that comes up and, and you don't really turn it down. So um I joined Arsenal as a marketing officer. Um, heading up the um, women's team, their marketing activity in the academy that sits under the women's team. Um, From my point of view, I'd only ever really known Arsenal in the women's game. I'd never really been a huge fan of the new era of women's football until I obviously got involved with it this time around. I'd always known Arsenal ladies as kind of the club that had your Kelly Smiths, your fair white people like that who were, you know, just known as being the best footballers in the country, you know, in Europe. So um, it was really cool to get involved with Arsenal ladies Um Went there and worked there for a year, heading up their marketing. Um, got to know a whole different side of football. Um, obviously, known Burnley as a Premier League club when I worked there. Um, and then going to the women's game is probably the most polar opposite that you can get to um, as Premier League football. <laughs> Definitely, It's just, it's on a match day, you're kind of, doing everything and you're talking to fans and you you, you're not just kind of behind the scenes doing a team sheet and you know setting up social media accounts you you're doing everything on a match day you're opening turnstiles you're doing all the jobs and it was just brilliant it's such a fantastic fantastic industry to work in in women's football um you know everyone from the players the coaches and then the sort of people behind the scenes like myself just really mucking um and it's such an amazing environment so um yeah did a year down there um, absolutely loved it but was incredibly homesick and I always said to myself I'm going to stick this year out and um, I'm going to do it because I wanted to achieve it but I wanted to come home and um, so I'm back home now I work with um, quite a few different companies at the moment and um, do quite a bit of work with Man City um, and I also uh, work with a company who work with the football league and the FOWSL on improving um, fan experience and marketing so basically work all the days and get to go and watch all the football matches. So
1: I've got a massive amount of life envy for you right now, Gemma. I'm not going to lie. That sounds incredible. (laughs) What an absolutely fantastic career that you've carved for yourself. And, And it just goes to show that you can find those careers out there if you work hard enough and you're prepared to do it. And I'm very envious of the fact that you've managed to turn... Um, a hobby and something that you love, um, you know, in your recreational time and into such a fantastic career. Um, that kind of brings me on to the first thing I wanted to speak to you about, really, in that you've done that. You're, you're the success. You're the the person that's gone out there and said, I love this game and I want to work in it. And there must be so many girls and and, you know, young adults and, and women out there who are, you know, whether they want to be players or whether they want to work in marketing, who want to do the same thing. So... I guess my first question to you is: I guess what are the challenges that these young girls are facing in in either either going through the playing ranks or going through the, the commercial side? What obstacles are they having to overcome to be able to get into them roles? And is there anything that we can be doing that's better for them? I guess.
4: Yeah, I mean it's funny because a lot of people do talk about these obstacles, and obviously it is a very male dominated industry, and. I do see it and obviously I'm I know that when I've worked in those clubs and those spaces I've I've worked with a lot of men and there hasn't been a great amount of women but I've never really come across why that is and I think it, if I am honest with myself I think a lot of it's fear and the fact that women don't put themselves out there for that opportunity I think that you might see you know a job at your club or a job within the FA or something like that and just kind of as females, maybe put yourself back a few steps. You think, oh, well, there's going to be a bloke that's done X, Y, Z at, you know, whatever club. Um, and I think a lot of it actually comes from girls in the teenage years uh, perpetuating that themselves because I know that I never allowed that to come into my mind I was working in tv and I was actually realizing it was a massive strength because there was a lot of guys who were very much there because they wanted to work in football because of the label of it whereas I was there because I just enjoyed the job that I was doing and like I say a lot of my love for the game came from the power of what football can achieve it's not just about you know being involved with a club's Twitter account and producing the next viral tweet for me it was there's kids that are you know really underprivileged that are getting access to a football team and are getting to play on Friday nights because a football club's facilitating that so I think a lot of the challenges are actually put in place from ourselves obviously it is a male-dominated industry and I do think there are a lot more men going for jobs than women and maybe some of them have got more experience but I don't think that's I don't think there's a, a real, I've never come across it where there's been a, um, you're a girl so you're a weaker applicant or anything like that mm-hmm. I've actually always tried to use it to yeah. my advantage um but I do think for on the playing side however I think it's completely different um that's more of kind of the business side that I'm talking and I've actually you know I read Karen Brady's books although she's like I shouldn't really be talking about her after the weekend should I because she does not want to be associated with we our podcast yeah,
1: we well we actually um Karen and I had this very chat actually Karen was joining me as joining me on the on, on the book to talk about the West Brom game and we'd actually sorry the West Ham game and we did talk about Karen Brady and I was saying at the time it was quite difficult because I wanted that to be part of the feature of this podcast in that I'm yeah. um, obviously a champion and, and it's not going so well for the moment but I agree well, we both said the same as you she's a role model for us
4: yeah, definitely. And I think there is a there's there is a pathway for women to do it. But I think, you know, I've read her autobiography and I read a lot of what she writes and stuff. You have to be quite ballsy. You have to be, you can't ever be that girl that's playing on the fact that you're female and it's all giggly and stuff like that. It's like, no, I'm I'm here. I'm sitting next to you because I can do just as good a job as you, probably, if not a little bit better. <laughs> and it's almost having that confidence um, and a business sense. But then in terms of the football side, um, my biggest issue is um, access to playing. So I think- yeah. My- biggest bugbear is um, PE and sport in schools so obviously on the Arsenal side I got to do a lot of work with schools they have this thing called the sister club program which is this phenomenal grassroots partnership program that basically get partnered with Arsenal women they almost get one of the players as an ambassador Um, so they have this direct link to a player from a grassroots club Um, and that player will go out and go to the training sessions do meet and greets with them Um, and it's a real kind of aspirational setup but unless you're in a grassroots team and unless you've kind of had the support and access to go into that you're never going to come across those kind of um, opportunities. For me, PE is the first thing that gets dropped off an exam. You know, an exam week at school. Um, it's you do one session a week. You still see the things going around online where it's girls. Are, there was something today on on Twitter. It was um, the after school club was cooking for girls and something some sport based activity for boys. It's like how is this still happening? It's 2018. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, So I think that's a massive issue is the kind of um, familiarity of sport for girls. I think the age of going into secondary school, girls become a lot more self-conscious, scared of making a fool of themselves. There's all the stats out there where you can see how many girls are dropping out of sport and not wanting to play because there's so much fear around it. I think that's where the FA, I think that's where all kind of, Different groups that are meant to support women's football should really be focusing and they do try to, but they go in at a grassroots level. Now, to me, if you've got a kid in a grassroots club, that's because mum and dad have said, yeah, we want you to play football and they've got that confidence to go in. But it's almost a step before that, that the primary school kids, they're being encouraged to play PE and then go to a grassroots football team on a Saturday morning. So I think that's where there's a big issue, and I think that's a massive challenge at the moment. Is I don't think sport and football's normalised for girls. Um, you know, it's still seen as the kind of quirky thing that Casey stoney and Kelly Smith and people yeah. like that were playing in the boys' team. That's mad. Loads of girls are playing in boys' teams now, but it's still seen as like, oh my god, they played with the boys. It's this. There's, there's a whole cultural issue, and I believe it starts at primary school age. Um. But the FA are trying to do some great work around that. They're really trying to encourage girls and their families to go to games at primary school age. Um, so to go to Man City women, to go to Liverpool women. And they, you know, they make tickets so affordable now. It's like a tenner for a family to go to watch women's football yeah um so the opportunities are there but it's it's how well known is that you know I'm, I'm guessing the majority of people listening to this don't know that you could go and watch man city women for six or seven quid and you
1: yeah, know it's it's, know it's how
4: well is that word yeah it's it's crazy
1: yeah i mean it, it, it's 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 getting that information isn't it and it's being able to feed it to your kids mm-hmm. and to your nieces and nep- you know, obviously nephews as well um you know if they want to help mm-hmm. out but I mean, I've been following the Lionesses recently because I've I've kind of got really into them, especially with their recent successes. Um, And Mm -hmm. even I didn't know that there was such an accessibility to watch live football. You know, I went to one of their last World Cup qualifiers and they were playing in, in a Walsall stadium that was completely sold out. And it was the atmosphere was incredible. And the enthusiasm for these girls was so wonderful to see. So I guess I wondered whether you felt that the recent successes of the Lionesses and, and how far up they've got the world rankings that they found themselves would help that and would maybe encourage girls to want to forge a career in this sport.
4: Yeah, it's, it's really all down to role models. It's as simple as that. And that's role models from having, you know, female presenters on Sky Sports, you know, having female commentators, female referees, obviously through to the Lionesses being those role models. And the more that we can increase that and get that visibility, um, higher and higher, I think it's so much. It, it makes that link a lot easier and it's and I know we'll probably go on to talk about the lioness's job for me the absolute icing on the cake is that if we had a female in that role I could turn around to any kid in any grassroots team who maybe isn't the strongest player on the pitch but say yeah but you know what you could manage England one day yeah you know
1: it's all about role models definitely well let's let's have a look at that then because obviously that is something that I did want to to, to speak to you about as well um the, the obviously the 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 biggest successes that the lionesses have had is when mark Sampson was in charge um and they've yeah. gone again with another high profile male um manager in neville um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing the answer to this is yes but is it a fundamental importance that we get a top female coach managing the lionesses
4: it's a fundamental importance to get the best person in in the job So it's the person who can do the best job. And, you know, that's kind of the whole thing around the approach to feminism and stuff like that. It's not about more women doing X, Y, Z. It's about the best person for the job doing the job. I think with the um, lioness's job, it should never be a tokenistic approach appointment where someone who has done, you know, like Casey Stoney, for example, in my opinion, she shouldn't have been given the lioness's job and she wasn't given the lioness's job. That's not to say that there wasn't other female coaches in the world who could have taken that job. I know that the FA said that they had um four shortlisted candidates and they all pulled out um because they were because of the media scrutiny that Mark Sampson had received. They all pulled out. Um I know that Baroness Sue Campbell, who was heading up the appointment, um, said that she spoke to 147 candidates across the world. There's people like Laura Harvey, for example, who's a huge coach out in the US. She was very much a favorite of a lot of people to come and take the lioness's job. Um, I'd say that I initially, and I'm sure anyone that does follow me on Twitter saw that I couldn't believe that Phil Neville was being um, linked to the Lioness's job. There was a a Guardian article that linked him because someone had made a, a backhanded comment at a drinks event, you know, an event at the FA about him taking the Lioness's job and then a sort of convoluted process where he ended up getting it. Having said that, he's come in with Casey Stoney by his side, which I think is, Integral to their success, and he's done a great job so far. She believes Cup we came second in that. Um, you know we played the best teams in the world, and he did a really good result. You know some of the performances weren't great, but um he's done a good job in terms of bringing the team together and re-energizing the Lionesses brand. Um, you know he got David Beckham to to one of the Lionesses games last week. Obviously eternally grateful for that. <laughs> um, but uh, he's. It's it's a fair appointment. I think it's a fair appointment because Casey Stoney's by his side. In my very sort of I don't know, my my view of, of the Lionesses at the moment is Phil Neville's there as a, a brand driver. Um as I said, you know, getting Beckham to the game, getting his brothers involved, you know, get even getting his sister involved, it's a brand awareness. I do believe that Casey Stoney is the bigger signing on the coaching side. I think she knows those players better than anyone and she's come through more tribulations than anyone has on that team. So I think that she's driving the coaching side. Um, I'd love to see when Phil Neville's done his thing and no doubt goes onto you know a men's team and and goes into management on the men's side, I'd love to see a woman step in next. Um, I worked very closely with Kelly Smith when I was at Arsenal. Um, she is was coaching the um development squad at Arsenal, and you know obviously getting all of her coaching badges. To me, I can't see why she wouldn't be the next England manager. Um, she once she takes over a WSL club, um, you know hopefully Arsenal one day in my opinion, but that's because I'm biased. <laughs> um, I'd love to see her get a bit of WSL experience and then go on and take the Lionesses because for me, no one, there's no one better um, in the women's game than Kelly Smith to go and head up because in terms of aspiration from the players coming through the ranks, um, you know, at youth level f- through to come and playing under Kelly Smith, she's got the most perfect experience and, and understanding of the game to relate to them. But then to the girls that are playing in the grassroots team, you know, in Paddy, I'm aware of the pay- playing, um. I want them to be able to see that you can be a manager, you can be a referee, you can do whatever you want. I think it's, you know, having that um, aspirational goal to be able to do those jobs.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. That is such fascinating stuff, and I think it's it's definitely going to give an, our um, listeners a real insight into exactly what's going on in the game. And I can't help but feel like we've got a massive five years ahead of us in terms of the female game, and you know the rise of the lionesses and, and the, the just the rise of of having of girls having the confidence to be able to go out there and get themselves a career in this sport. Um. Let's just pick up again and let's just wrap up this feature, Gemma, with uh, going back to your opening comments in this um, interview where you mentioned to our listeners that obviously you are a keen Burnley fan. Um, what are your hopes? Yes, yeah, you must be delighted with this season. I guess a couple of questions just to finish off. What are your hopes for next season and, and where do you want us to finish this season?
4: I think that just as a Burnley fan and you know it's very easy to get carried away with where we are but it's just incredible pride as to what we're achieving and you know I shared on my Facebook um, I think it was two or three days ago um, that two years ago I'd updated my status saying that um, basically does life get any better than this and it was us um, being four points clear of the championship um, and you know going past Middlesbrough which was that whole thing a couple of years ago where we had this big rivalry and now it's like we've got to pinch ourselves. It's it's incredible what is being achieved at the football club. And I think that um, off the pitch, um, I think seeing the development that's happening, um, as I mentioned to you, there's there's some great content that's just been released around the development of the training ground. That investment and that trust that's being built within Burnley Football Club is so incredible. And I think it's something that, you know, as as tonight, you've seen Pellegrino has been sacked from Southampton. We were relegated under Sean Dyche. We stuck with him and he stuck with us last year, this year when, you know, the Everton job came up and all that came up. I think there's such a pride at the moment of being a Burnley fan that it feels something bigger than our league position. It feels something bigger than our success this season. It feels like we're actually building something really solid. Um, and obviously, you know, I'd love to see... Us, you know managed to get into Europe it doesn't even sort of bear thinking about but you know the way that things are going at Arsenal um you never know what could happen
1: no, the no, thought exactly. of
4: being able to go in abroad next year to watch oh, our team blows my mind dream.
1: can you imagine <laughs> that's been on my bucket list forever and I'm, I'm, I never yeah. thought I'd ever see Burnley in the Premier League never mind going on a European tour as well I exactly know I, I we... that... go on sorry no 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 go ahead
4: I was just going to say. I think that just having you know our fans, it goes back to that thing of oh, we're an old mill town in the northwest, and we're not liked mm-hmm. by anybody, and we're actually achieving something that's so so massive. You look at what Leicester did, and I think I feel as much pride as they must have done when they had that crazy season because we're it's so much more than what was ever expected of us. I think. Also, obviously, Sean Dyche, I'd love to st- him to stay with us for as long as, as he would do. Um, but I think that we're building something more than Sean Dyche. And I think that's really important for Burnley fans to obviously consider is the fact that there is life after Sean Dyche. And I think what we're building is an infrastructure. Um, I know it doesn't bear thinking about at the moment, does he? Um, But in terms of the infrastructure at the club, um, I think we're becoming really solid. I think financially we're becoming really solid. And I think that the talent that's coming to Burnley Football Club is really, really exciting. You know, I I can't currently express more excitement about Aaron Lennon to anybody that will listen to me. I think he's such an exciting um, prospect at Burnley, but having players like that at our club, That says something because he could probably have had his pick of quite a few clubs, probably in a little bit sexier locations than Burnley, (laughs) but he decided to come here and, you know, that's down to the manager, but it's also down to, I think, what we're building at the football club. So, um, yeah, I think it's stability. I think we've got to set our expectations and I think we've just got to be really, really proud of every week what
1: we're achieving. Well, what a great way to end that feat. Gemma, I'm feeling ridiculously inspired right now. Thank you so much for coming (laughs) on and speaking to us. Your enthusiasm for the game, both the male game and the ladies game is completely infectious. And, you know, listeners, if you're out there and you've got daughters, sisters, wives, anybody who's really wants to go and and go for it and, and carve themselves a career or, or even just a hobby in this game, then, you know, do your research and get in touch with people and get them out there and just give them the confidence to go for it. Um, Gemma, thank you so much for joining us. And um, on behalf of all of our listeners, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, so Karen, let's uh, move away from um, obviously the West Ham game again now and let's have a look at what we have next. The Clarets are actually facing a two-week break, which is Depressing, to say the very least. Obviously, next Saturday's game at home to Chelsea has been um, postponed. And we are looking at um, an international break after this. So it's going to be West Brom away. Now, on paper, given how much West Brom are struggling, that looks to be another um, showcase game for the Clarets where they can go and get a very good um, result and um, heap some further misery on um, that West Brom side. Do you see that game as being one that the Clarets can play with some freedom again? Or do you think that with the massive fight that West Brom have got on their hands, it might be a bit more trickier than you think? Three words.
3: It's West Brom. You never know where West Brom will burn. Oh, my
1: God, you're so I right.
3: Love them games that you just never know. <laughs> it really is. Like, West Brom, I've just got my tickets. Unfortunately, I missed out on the first lot because I thought I was working. I'm not working, so I'm actually going on the game. But... You just do not know what type of team West Brom are going to put out. It's uh, Under the circumstances, you'd like to think Burnley would go there with this, exactly the same mindset as what went to West Ham and did a job there. But then you get there and you yeah. think, oh, well, yeah, we're going we're to stroll this. It's going to be a 3 4 niler And then they come back and they beat you 4-1. So yeah, you just don't know with West Brom. So I'd like to go in there full of confidence after what's been going on these past few weeks. But I am a little bit nervous, Natalie, to be honest. I think the the fact that we've got such a long gap is quite a good thing. Now, I don't know whether he's going to give him some... T- I'm going to guess he's going to give him some time off. He's got to. I mean, over two weeks, I'd, I'd give him at least like five yeah, days off. Let him do their own thing. Get rested up for the last few games of the season. But West Brom, like I said to you, Natalie, your guess is as good as mine. You could pluck any numbers out of the sky for West Brom, and we still wouldn't know. So I'd like to think... Well, what would happen is what happened at West Ham, that we'd go out there with a the mentality of, look, they're not doing well, but they are fighting for their lives. And that's dangerous. We've we've all been there. We've been there with Burnley. Yeah. And it makes you a little bit more fierce and a bit more wanting. But I mean, you, the team's in disarray, absolute disarray at West Brom. And it's really. It is a shame, because I'm a big fan of Jay Rodriguez, obviously, with yeah, him being yeah. a Burnley boy. But, um, but it's it's not a one-man team, is it? So you've got to look at the whole team. I think... If if Burnley turn up like
1: they did on Saturday, no, we should overcome them quite easily. But like I said, it's West Brom. <laughs> West Brom. We don't have a massively good record against Brom. West Brom, do we? I think they've turned into a bit of one of our oh. bogey sides. Um, I think one of the one of the main things for me with this playing of West Brom is, is that I just think that it's a really good way to just see the benefits of stability in your club. You know, by the time we play West Brom, they could be sacking their second manager of the season. Um, and, you know, you look at West Brom compared to a side like Burnley and you think, well, look at the benefits of keeping your manager. Look at the benefits of sticking with him through relegations and promotions and the stability that that brings to a side. And and I just think there's that, you know, we're really lucky to have Dyche. We're really lucky to have our board that sticks with him.
3: Oh, massively lucky. I mean, you look in the past at Burnley, the ups and downs that we've had, and we look at all the managers that have come in and come out. I mean, the Brian Laws era comes to mind, like thinking, oh, my goodness, where are we going here? What are you, what are you thinking? And then Sean Dyche turns up out of the blue. Not many people knew of him. Not many people knew what he could do. And it, it's the board itself. It's, it's got to have so many plaudits, I think. It, when you look at other clubs, you look at the likes of Sunderland, even those uh, boys down the road at Blackburn, and look at what they've done. And you worry when you hear rumours in the daily, in the red tops about Burnley being taken over by investors. And I've not heard any rumours. Well, I have. To, well, I'll start that again. You do worry about the rumours that go around with regards to the Red Tops, whether or not we're going to get taken over in the future by investment companies from abroad. And it, it makes you worry because the thing about Burnley is it's always been about the fans. You still walk around the town and it's still everybody's in claret and blue. You don't see many Man United or Man City. It's always about the community. And I think we would lose that a little bit. We would, lo- we would look like West Ham. and You don't want to lose that as a Burnley fan. It's in your blood, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you feel the same, Natalie. It, it's just there. It's a part of you so I wouldn't want to see Burnley go down that route of selling up we don't need the money we've done all right the way we are if we have to go down again we go down again with Sean Dyche and come straight back up again so I'm very very positive in the way that Burnley have been uh, led uh, especially after Owen Coyle left it was so difficult and the way it all happened and we could have gone down the road of the Wiggins we could have been relegated after relegated and it's just a positive look at Natalie, really, like I don't think there's any negatives at Burnley at this moment in time, whether it's from the board level all the way down to the academy level. I think it's all a positive rosy future, but hopefully I'll be saying that this time next season when we're not fighting a relegation battle, so yeah, fingers crossed. Oh, that would
1: be nice, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. okay, well, that brings me very nicely then Karen, on to what I was going to challenge you on for the end of this podcast to bring our summary to a close. What are your? hopes well I guess predictions for the rest of this season how many points do you think we can get to and what are your hopes for next season
3: oh my god you are putting me on the spot there's no prep without this Um, I would be very happy I said at the beginning of the season if we can finish by not being relegated I would be very happy so to finish 7th or 8th in the Premier League is beyond any Burnley fan's wildest dream. She would have ripped anybody's arm off if someone would have offered you that at the beginning of the season. So in an ideal world, that let's be honest, I want a European trip. I want a suntan with Burnley in the sun, somewhere hot, come July in the preliminary rounds of the Europa League. Let's be honest, that's what we all want. So in an ideal world, i I'd like to finish 7th, but let somebody above us win the FA Cup or just to get us in that Europa league by the back door that would be ideal but I, I, like I said to you before Natalie off there I think we would I, I would take top 10 I really would take top 10 for this season, season I'm, a, I'm a Burnley fan so the Cups always half empty no matter what they might do even if they won the Premier it would always be still a little bit half empty so I would suggest next season the same again just build on next season better each season the way we're going along and as long as we can keep older Sean Dyche because he is a phenomenal manager and he will I have no doubt everybody wants a good career. He he is he's not at Burnley for a stepping stone, far from it. And he would never see Burnley as a stepping stone but everybody wants to improve the career and I'm sure he has ambitions of one day maybe managing England or one of the top four. Who wouldn't who wouldn't in that position? But if we can keep order Sean Dyche and we can better this season's next season and build on it bring in a couple of new players, not to just uh, build on the uh, squad. I don't think we need to do too much. It just needs to tinkle with it a little bit for next um and just see what happens and, and just join the
1: fun merry-go-round that is being a Burnley yeah, fan. Yeah, I agree. What a great summary. I could not add anything to that. Well, that is all we have time for this week. Um, this has been our special edition podcast in honour of International Women's Day. And I do hope that you've enjoyed it, listeners. Um, there's great progress being made across the world to fight for equality and gender parity everywhere. Now, a lot of the global activism that's taking place for women's equality is being fueled by specific movements and one of those is the he for she campaign and in light of that he for she campaign i do want to firstly thank my colleagues adam howarth and james bird who basically gave me unconditional support and freedom to produce this special podcast so thank you james thank you adam it has been appreciated thanks also go to katie and gemma for giving up their time to give us such fantastic and insightful interviews and to karen for joining me on the panel and for being an utterly wonderful guest thank you karen you're very welcome natalie Um, our last thanks go to you as ever the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast week in week out as ever we would not be here without you and your support is greatly appreciated But I'm going to sign off this week's podcast by dedicating this episode to all the women and all the girls across the world who play, work in, broadcast, or basically get themselves involved with the beautiful game that we all love. Now, whether they're players, coaches, medical staff, presenters, journalists, officials, or they just work in the corporate sector, this episode has been for you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the None and Ever podcast.